All right, a, um, this is gonna be my custom, just to kinda get you uh, awake and make sure that you're uh, paying attention. I'm gonna go to the first slide pretty much every time, try to set the scene of the topical study of the book of James that I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to lead this morning and then we'll go through uh, what James says about wisdom. Uh, there's four layers of context. We talked about this way back in October. Every epistle, we need to understand the four layers of context in which that epistle is written. In this case, the cultural context is a Jewish one, a scattered Jewish one in a Greek-influenced uh, world. Jews that are not all together, Christians who have a Jewish uh, background but are not all together anymore, scattered about. They are very early on in the church's history, you know, so they're scattered about living without a complete Bible, living without apostles to help them to understand what to do, and they're surrounded by a world that they have to live in and, 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 and account for, you know, not having a Bible to read like we do, not having apostles around them all the time. Uh, the gospel context of this epistle, this epistle feels a lot like uh, the Sermon on the Mount to me. Uh, uh, lots of discussion and lots of topics around this is what citizens of the kingdom of heaven look like. This is what kingdom of heaven's citizens do. And then the context of the book of James within itself, like I mentioned, it floats from topic to topic, and that's how I'm trying to lead the discussion uh, week to week is float topic to topic. Um, three other things to be mindful of that distinguish this epistle from others. There's a very strong tone of exhortation uh, from a wise uh, teacher. Uh, this is a, um, a book with a lot of imperative sentences. Do this, don't do that. Uh, help others do this, uh, don't do that. Um, the structure is, is a little loose, at least to me anyway, uh, jumping from topic to topic. There are certainly ways that we could blend uh, the topics together, but there are multiple, multiple topics, not a, like a single congruent message like in the book of Galatians where it talks about our relationship to the old law and the outputs of that. And then it's abundantly full of metaphors and illustrations. And today, in particular, I'd like to appeal to you know, your own mind, you've got to make the metaphors, make the illustrations come to life that we're going to talk about. Otherwise, the, the book doesn't, doesn't make sense as it should. Um, there's a, a writer who said that this is the gospel of the common sense. Um, the sentence structure is simple. The sentence structure is straightforward. Um, it, is, it is easier to understand. So... Um, Keep all those things in mind this morning as we talk about wisdom. Now, wisdom is a, is a very broad topic, and I'm going to try and concentrate the, uh, the discussions around wisdom to what James mentions in James chapter 1 and in James chapter 3. Help me do that if you've got uh, comments. I mean, certainly topics can, can go lots of different ways, and I'm going to encourage us to let's balance uh, the comments to what is being applied here, and then as we need to kind of stretch a little bit, we can, we can stretch, all right? I'd like to go through James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, in a couple of different ways, um, talk about it on its surface, and then talk about um, a potential application of it, and then come back again, uh, kind of booking the, the, the topic. So let's first read uh, James chapter 1. 
verses 5 through 8, and then let's read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 uh, in succession. So first, James chapter 1, verse 5. <clears throat> but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from God, excuse me, from the Lord, being a double-minded, unstable in all his ways. James chapter 3 and verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, which is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed Excuse me, and the seed whose right whose fruit is righteousness is shown in the peace by those who make peace. Okay, back to chapter one uh, and verse five. The word wisdom, the word uh, Sophia. So the people uh, who were uh, Greek in, in their uh, in their heritage would have seen this word a couple of different ways. Either way, it's a very broad it's a very broad word. This would be a word that could be academic, uh, how you learn things, how you philosophize, if that's a word, uh, about, uh, about how things are good and how things are uh, real. There was a group called the sophists in uh, Greek and Roman uh, culture, and they used the word as a way to describe how to artfully and skillfully prove a point. So there's one way of looking at it. The Jews, and again, this is the people to whom this book is, is written, those of, of Jewish heritage who are, now, who are now Christian believers. Sophia was a focus on the, the type of wisdom that is found in the book of Proverbs. Um, it is skillful living. I like that uh, phrase. Not just living but skillful living, not just the fruit of logical reasoning, not just the ability to prove a point, but the skill that it takes to live a life um, is how the Christians who have a Jewish background would have seen this word that James is, is talking to them about. True wisdom comes with the connection to the book of Proverbs. It comes with the connection to the, the thesis kind of of the book of Proverbs in chapter 1. And verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of where it all starts and obedience to, to God and his, and his will. So practical knowledge used for skillful living. If you lack it, there is a natural question, how do you get it? And James talks about how to get it um, in, in, in a couple of, different, couple of different ways. First, uh, in chapter uh, five, uh, 1 and verse 5, um, you ask of God. You're encouraged to, to ask of God <clears throat> and ask of God in a, in, a certain, in a certain way. There's conditions tied to how we, 
to how we ask of God. In verse 6, we must ask in faith without any doubting. It's never wrong to, to pray for wisdom. And there's never a time when God's not going to listen to a prayer that's asking for wisdom. But we can't in our inner minds say, well, nothing else has worked. Let me give this a shot uh, about trying to figure out what to do. Um, and if it works, it works. It does and it doesn't. There is a sense of wavering, kind of, I don't know, kind of to and fro of the sea. It's an improper way of, of asking God. You can, if you've seen the sea, you've seen the ocean, you kind of get the sense of what uh, James is trying to get at here. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Just disorderly and, and, and unpredictable and, well, maybe uh, just kind of waffling along uh, life with, with no definitive stance around uh, can God help me or not. Well, you might. Uh, let's give this a shot. And the other way that James describes someone like that is using the word double-minded, meaning two-spirited or two-souled. Someone who's, who, may, who may feel that they can ask of God and sometimes may not feel that they can ask of God. The same person has two, uh, two ways of looking at life and having two ways of looking at, at God. We must ask in faith, um, which means we must be, be stable and consistent in the way that we that we ask God. If you could put your finger or a bookmark in, in uh, James chapter 1 and turn over to Proverbs chapter 3 for a second, I want to cite another verse, another section as to how important this is. If we're going to ask God for something, then I bet it's important. It's important to have. And if, and if James says, you lack this, you need to ask God without wavering. So whatever we're asking God for, and this word wisdom has to be valuable. So let's talk about, let's see what the proverb writer says about how valuable it is. And after this, I'm going to open it up for, for questions and comments, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about a, a potential application here. Let's first read James, uh, Proverbs 3, verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all those who hold fast. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth, and by understanding he established the heavens. This to me is a, is a good I mean, you pick which illustration in verses 3 through 18, 3 through 19 that works for you best. I mean, there is, there is value in finding her. Uh, wisdom is, is personified as a person to go and get and to establish a relationship with. She will help you in, in health. She will help you in, in ways that riches and jewels cannot. She is better than that. She has paths that lead to peace, which we're going to talk about the connection between a wise life and a life that is filled with peace in, uh, in James chapter 3. <clears throat> but this is why it's so important, is 
Um, you ask of God, and if I'm going to ask of God of something, then it certainly is of, uh, is of value. So James is saying, look, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who is a generous God and gives without reproach. Any comments or uh, questions about the things that I mentioned before before we talk about a, a quick potential application here? Yeah, I got it, Michael. <clears throat> Oh, start with this, David. Sorry. You know, when it comes to worldly wisdom, there's a natural progression from knowledge, which is just a mere acquaintance with the facts mm -hmm. of things, to understanding, which is being able to take that knowledge and apply it. And then wisdom is being able to take that knowledge and that understanding and and have it be um, useful in our everyday lives. It's mm -hmm. a, some positive effect for us. And the the example I've heard used for this before is if I'm walking on a trail through the woods and there's a limb that is laying over the trail with a big hornet's nest on it, mm -hmm. then knowledge tells me that's a hornet's nest. Uh, right. Understanding is... If I had disturbed that hornet's nest, I'm going to have a very bad day. And wisdom is taking another path to go around it, yeah. right? Yeah. And when it comes to godly wisdom, it's, it's really no different. There's a, there's a natural progression, and the Bible uses these words, knowledge, understanding, mm -hmm. wisdom. And it would be nice if, if I went to bed at night and uh, recognizing that I lack the wisdom that I need or that I want, I pray to God in faith mm -hmm. and not doubting whatsoever that he'll give me wisdom. And then I just wake up in the morning and there I am, wise. Mm -hmm. You know, that'd be nice, but that's not the way it works. Right. And I like Proverbs chapter 2, the first few verses there, because it tells me something about wisdom it says if you and note all of the the action that we have to take that's our part of this mm -hmm. if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you if you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding if you cry out for discernment if you lift up your voice for understanding if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure then so you have this if-then statement. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Mm -hmm. And so what this tells me is that it's going to take some, some intentionality on right. my part, uh, a lot of diligence. Mm -hmm. Yes, I can pray and not, I can pray in faith, nothing doubting that God will give it to me, but I have a part to play in this as well. Yeah, we're going to see some of that. Thank you, David. We're going to see some of that part you have to play with the balance of what he talks about in James chapter 3 because it talks about characteristics that are t attached to behaviors that we have to have. Yeah, well said. Yes, David.
sure. No, I, if, I, I think wholeheartedly David is, David is absolutely right. If you, I've had this verse down the way in my notes, but let's go there now and kind of go along with this thought. If you could turn to Psalm 119 for a second, Psalm 119. There is a, you're right, David is absolutely right. If we ask of God and he gives generously, one of the forms in which we can be given wisdom is trial, to learn and to understand through that we may be, we may be complete. Psalm 119, verse 65 through 67. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandment. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. To me, at least the way that I read this, there's a connection between this prayer of discernment and understanding and what he's gone through being being afflicted. There is a sense in which David's right, connecting the first four verses to the next four, that one of the ways that God can grant us wisdom if we ask of it is to be given it uh, through trial. And that's why we have to ask in faith. Because if we ask for wisdom and then something bad, in order in our mind, starts to happen, it is very easy to, very easy to waver. Okay, I'd like to go on a small rabbit trail uh, for a second. So back when we were in uh, Texas, um, an application of James chapter one was brought into my house. Um, we had a knock on the door, and, uh, and, and if you've had this experience, maybe you have, and you can share, you can share for yourself. Uh, two Mormons were at our door, and we were about to leave, and uh, I asked them if they could come back tomorrow, and they did. They came back to, my, uh, to our house. We sat at the kitchen table, and they started to provide their, their uh, testimony to me. And one of the things that we got to talking about early on was the Book of Mormon itself and its authority. The thing that they asked, that, that I was asking them, um, was trying to compare basically my Bible to their Book of Mormon and trying to figure out the authority between the two. And I was approached with something I had never experienced before. Maybe you, maybe you had. Is they told me that one of the ways that you can determine uh, if the Book of Mormon is true is to pray to God and ask him if it is true. And they cite the Book of Mormon in the book of Moroni, chapter 10 and verse 4. Moroni was, a uh, to them, a, a person who lived in America in the 4th, 5th century and eventually became an angel who helped Joseph Smith uh, to, to, to deliver him the, the tablets that he ended up interpreting. And this is one of the things that he says. And when you shall receive these things, I will exhort to you that you ask God, the eternal Father, in the name of Christ. If these things are not true, and if you shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power 
of the Holy Ghost. So their appeal to their uh, epistemology, another big word for today, so the theory of knowledge, what do we know and how do we know it? Um, what do we know and how do we know about the Book of Mormon? Their claim to me at my kitchen table was the way that you can know that what we're saying is true is if you pray to God and you ask him and he will tell you it's true. The reason we know that that, that, that will happen is because James says it will happen. In James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, if you ask of God without doubting, he will tell you the answer. And I'll tell you, I'll freely admit, I was not ready for this um, uh, line of reasoning. I don't know well how well I handled it uh, with them, but I've, you know, I've had a decade or so to think about it. And I'm not saying I'm going to handle it any better right now, but I'm going to try uh, to, to because I feel like this is, this is one of the grounding pieces of, of uh, not only uh, how they believe the Book of Mormon is true, but it is a potential application that I'm not sure uh, that I'm that I'm in agreement with. The question becomes, is James telling us to pray to receive knowledge about something being true, or is James teaching us to pray to God for wisdom, and is there a difference in such a thing? Uh, I'd like to go through a couple of kind of how it makes sense in my head, and I freely want comments um, as to this scenario um, here. If, we, if we've got a question about something, whether it's true or not, a way to pray to God about it, and then he's going to grant us a particular piece of knowledge, whether that's, whether that's true or not. That's the, the proposed uh, application on the table. So let's talk about, talk about it a little bit, and then, um, again, feel free, to, um, feel free to add or edit to the things that I'm about to, to say. First, I feel like it's, it's strongly about James appealing to wisdom, the practical... A skillful way of living and not uh, whether or not some fact or some doctrine is true or false is what, what James is appealing to that we're to pray about for a couple of reasons. First, the Christian is lacking wisdom, not lacking knowledge. If it was about knowledge, he certainly had, a, had an opportunity to use the word knowledge uh, like, Dave, like, uh, like David mentioned. Um, these people are already believers. They already believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and was raised from the dead. Um, there are things uh, that, um, so therefore the Christians who, who are written to already have some truth, already have belief. Some things don't need prayer because they have already been revealed um, is, is another comment that, that I would make. There are um, testable things in the Word of God that don't necessarily have to be prayed for. We don't have to ask, I'm going to use some extreme examples uh, for a second. We don't have to pray to God to determine whether or not adultery or lying or fornication are true or not. We have revelation from Jesus himself. We have revelation from the apostles as to whether or not uh, these things are true. We don't have to go to bed at night like David said, and God, please grant me knowledge as to whether or not uh, cheating, lying, frauding a coworker is true or, or not. Grant me that wisdom. That to me is, is not the application James is saying here because we already have revelation about those topics. The idea of exhorting and encouraging and bearing one another's burdens are things that we are taught to do already. Uh, there's, there's, not, there's not a need for God to reveal that to Shane personally or Phil personally. He's told us all um, the things to do uh, in that regard. 
the Bible, when it comes to knowledge about what is, what is true, the Bible makes an appeal to itself as the inspired word. You know, 2 Timothy, uh, Paul talks about that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, <coughs> that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, for all sorts of things, for reproof, rebuke, for correction and instruction in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete. So we have the things that we need. And if we have a, a, a doctrine or a, or a concern that is doctrinal in nature, we have something to compare to already. We don't have to try to figure out how to compare to what God tells us uh, in a prayer. One of the, one of the more um, um, maybe obvious uh, appeals, and this is the one that I made with them kind of on the spot, is um, if, it feels quite dangerous to, to have something that may be an objective fact or evidence that may contradict the personal testimony that God or God, that God may or may not tell me. I, I told them, I was like, what if God doesn't tell me that the Book of Mormon is true? What, what are we to do then? And, and, and the conversation uh, didn't really go much, much further, but my, my point to them was um, that you're asking me to do something personal, and if and the truth about an authoritative scripture or not is based on what God may personally tell me versus what he tells Tony versus what he tells Brian, there is a bit of a, a danger uh, in that. Religious, uh, spiritual experience certainly is important. It certainly plays a role. And I have, I have no uh, qualms about saying that. If you're not feeling this, um, there's a disconnect. But the feeling, uh, the, the spiritual experience is important. But it's not complete if that's all that, if that's all that it is. Uh, truth claims uh, should be tested. That's what, you know, the people in the, the Berean church did in Acts, in Acts 17, right? They took what Paul was saying and examined their Old Testament and the connection he was trying to make between uh, Jesus, the law of Moses, the prophets, and were trying to figure out if that's, if that's true or not. Um, so this is kind of my, my thoughts. And again, we're going we're to come back again and rehash what I said already about James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. But the, 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 the danger that I'm trying to outline is a, 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 one of the ways of answering that first question. Are we praying to receive knowledge about something that's right or wrong? Are we praying for wisdom about how to conduct my life, how to interact uh, with people? Um, I feel like it is certainly the latter, for all the reasons that I mentioned uh, up to this point, um, and this is the things that I wish I'd prepared in my mind uh, before sitting down at the kitchen table with, uh, with the two gentlemen who came to, my, came to my kitchen table. Any thoughts or comments or questions? All right, that's what I figured. Um, let me start with, uh, let's start with Bruce. <clears throat> they start out by quoting from Moroni, a supposed angel. Mm -hmm. Though we are an angel, Mm -hmm. Say anything different than what is written. Let him be accursed. Mm -hmm. We have everything that we need. We have the basic truth, as you said. The book has been written. Revelation has been given. There's nothing more uh, to hear. And uh, John also tells us that we should test the spirits. 
with what is written here, God speaks to us today in, in three ways. And I believe there's four, but my brain is not working. He -hmm. speaks to us through creation. Mm -hmm. He speaks to us through his word. And Hebrews 1 says he speaks to us now through his son, Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. not through angels. And so they take the truth and they twist it just a little bit. And they quote it from a source which is not authorized. Mm-hmm. I think that's all we need to say if we believe what has been written. Yeah. Good ad. Good ad. Yes, exactly. Mr. Roger. That's exactly what I was going to say. They, they don't accept your standard. They use their standard. And we're told in the Bible that we have the revelation of the Holy Spirit. I also espouse to what... Uh, David said, I think this is dealing with the trials that they were mm-hmm. going through. But, you know, uh, basically what Bruce said. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think, hold on a second, Alan. I think you're, I think you're right. There is, now there's certainly a potential follow-up that has to happen. You know, how do you, we have to ultimately, and what I ended up doing when I was trying to compare the, the logical and physical evidence of the Bible compared to the Book of Mormon, and I'm not prepared to do that now, but there's there's a lot of material that we could talk about outside of here that outside of personal revelation, there are multiple things within the within those two authoritative documents that are not comparable. About how their their origin, their uh, consistency, and we could certainly go that right that that direction. But but you're right. Ultimately, the point is, in order to get to that point, let's start with. We have a revelation that is complete, and we are to test everything against that. And this, this claim is, is being tested against the whole of the Bible and being found uh, wanting. Yes, Allie? Yeah, as, as we kind of touched on earlier, there's a lot of ways we could doubt God's ability to give wisdom. You could mm-hmm. doubt his, literally his ability to do it, his desire to do it. We could doubt the method in which he does it, or we could doubt once he gives us wisdom, if it seems to be inconvenient to what we'd like against our lives, we start to doubt, is this even true? You know, you know, going to God and saying, I know that you've given me your word, but I doubt I can find the answer there. Just tell me. Yeah. I mean, that literally is meeting the definition of a doubtful prayer. We're saying, I'm not sure that mm-hmm. you've given it to me. Just give me some type of sign instead. And Jesus dealt with, you know, the religious rulers often saying it's, you're wicked for just wanting signs. It's already been explained to you, but you're doubting the wisdom God's been giving you, and you're just wanting it different. Yeah, well said, well said. Yes, Ms. Karen. Uh, just very simplified to me. You can't have wisdom until you have knowledge first. Uh, it's kind of like the example David Creech gave and, and those steps. You gain knowledge, which then leads to wisdom. Uh, and I just popped open Webster Dictionary, the definition of wisdom. I mean, take it or leave it. But it basically sums up that it's accumulated knowledge. So to me, to have wisdom, you first have to have some knowledge. Right. We're, we're going to expand on what Ms. Karen is saying in, in Chapter 3. Uh, but, but, yeah, well said. Well said. So I, we talked about what the verse means, and then I went, whoop. So let's, let's go back to, again, what the, I don't want to leave with that. With that in mind, how do we, how do we get wisdom? Verse five: If anyone lacks wisdom, have a conscious recognition of the need for it. 
maybe in the midst of a trial, maybe in the midst of a decision that's needing to be made. Day to day, there has to be recognition um, that we need wisdom. I even, I even think, you know, I'm convinced the Bible is written for the critical thinker. James could have said, you need wisdom for all your trials, but he didn't. He said, if anyone is, is deficient, if, everyone, if anyone lacks wisdom, so you're reading this, does this apply to me? It is a deeper way of reading the, the verse because now you have to make it personal. Recognizing the, need, uh, recognizing the need for it requires, you know, humility. We must go to God before going to other people for wisdom. Charles Spurgeon, I like this a lot. We are so ready to go to books, to go to men, to go to ceremonies, to go to anything except God. Consequently, the, te consequently, the text does not say let him ask books nor ask priests, but let him ask of God. Um, I, I just thought that was, that was great. That's <laughs> really good, uh, really good comment. We, <clears throat> we can certainly ask brethren, right? There are multiple passages that talk about going to elders, to going to brothers uh, for, uh, for guidance. Uh, for, there's, there's the examples we'll talk about later about teachers and things like that. So there's going to be an exchange of information, a share, a, an exchange of skillful living amongst us. And that's not, that's not, that's not a, a problem. But it's incomplete if we don't go directly to the God of heaven and ask him to show us his way. Um, I know I don't do that as often as I probably should. Praying to God uh, for help rather than going to, to books or relying on someone here or relying on a podcast or, or a ceremony or something like that to help to guide me. How about don't go to anybody? How about praying about it? Um, I don't know if this is a good application, but this is something I do uh, from time to time. Um, at work, there are certain moments, and I'm sure everyone has it, where it's at school or at work or in life, where there's about to be a very uh, consequential meeting or a very consequential discussion. Sometimes we call them career-limiting uh, discussions uh, sometimes, where you have a situation where, like, you know what, this could be a thing. Um, if I'm walking into the building or if I'm, if I'm visiting one of our refineries and they haven't seen me in for a while and I'm about to give them a hard time about something, I will ask God, God, grant me wisdom in this situation. That's it. It's my full prayer. Um, the reason I, I feel like that's a good application is because it is, it is day to day. I feel like I've prepared, but ultimately I need God's, God's help. Um, throughout day-to-day -day life. There's not a certain situation where we can just pray really, really hard on Monday morning, and that's it. You know, it's kind of like uh, David's analogy last week about going to the gym and working out. You could leave this place today, and you could go work out for eight hours this afternoon and then be done for the week, and it will not be effective, right? Um, it's same, so there's a... There's a sociologist out in the out in the in the world his name is a Simon Sinek and he has a similar analogy about going to the dentist I went to the dentist uh, last week and the dentist cleaned my teeth way better than I could ever clean my teeth she's got tools and barbed wire or whatever she's using and and it was very thorough it was very thorough but I still got to brush my teeth tomorrow right and the next day 
and the next day, and the next day. Um, because you can't just go really, really hard for a little bit, and that's it. It is a continual, it is a continual thing. Go to God without doubting his ability. Um, and then committing to God, not being committed to a double-minded uh, way of life. Wow, that was way too much time on those four verses. Anything else on those? I would like to, I don't feel like there's as much to say because there's some redundancy in the next uh, section. All right, James chapter uh, 3. There are two different, uh, David Creech talked about this a bit. There's two different types of wisdom that can be talked about. First, are you wise? Who among you is wise? We can't really see. You know, there's no like online system where I can go and see how wise Daniel is and how wise Leland is on a 100-point scale. We don't have like a name badge. There's a way that we have to figure out if we're wise or not. And in, and in some ways, like this is meant for people who are, are teaching. How do you know that you're wise in your understanding? What's the proof? Your relationships with other people. That's how you know. Um, that's how it, it is able to be determined. It's easy to think we have wisdom if we know the Bible. It's easy to think we can have wisdom and know the Bible and we teach it. Um, but how we live and interact with other people, to me, is the, is the overall claim of these verses 13 through, through 18. And he sets up really two different uh, ways of looking at wisdom. There is a natural man and there is a spiritual man. And they are uh, contrasted. The natural wisdom, verse 15 is not from is not that which comes down from above. It is earthly. It is natural. Um, it comes from here, so it can only impact and and cause issues here. It has no spiritual or eternal consequence in mind. Um, it is manifested and motivated by verse fourteen. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, your motives are negative, your attitude is a fighting one, is an abrasive one, is an arrogant one, and the outcome is evil practices and disorder, disorder in the world. Can natural wisdom be profitable? Certainly it can. Natural, natural physical wisdom can make us rich, it can make us famous, it can make us powerful, and it is useful in, in getting us somewhere in life, but it is not complete because if it is our only motivation, if it comes with jealousy and selfishness, it is going to be incomplete because of the result in verse 16, where there is jealousy and self-ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. You can't get anywhere but a disordered and evil world if you're only concerned about yourself and not other people. So, the, the, the contrast, the, the spiritual wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, verse 17, it is motivated by understanding in a godly context, wanting to understand how I'm supposed to skillfully live in a world that is 
fully spiritual internal in nature also. How am I supposed to handle this meeting? How am I supposed to handle this class? How am I supposed to handle interactions with each other um, in a context of spiritual world, not just the context of my career, my family, uh, the control that I have over, over certain things. It comes with an attitude of pure, peaceable, impartial, which we'll talk about uh, later on in a couple of other sections. And its result is the, is the fruit of righteousness. A couple of really quick comments, and I'll, I'll give you guys a chance to say something if you'd like. It is pure. Um, this is not a word that means sexually pure, like Paul uses the word uh, pure. This is, you know, unmixed, untainted. Again, back to that double-mindedness. There is, a, there is a motivation around how we deal with people um, that is purely in place to, to glorify God. And, again, it is fruitful. You can't just have wisdom. If your life, if my life, and how we interact with each other, if we're not making a positive impact on each other, then we are not wise. We have to, you can't be, sorry, you can't be peaceable with just yourself. Yeah, you could just be peaceable just sitting there and doing nothing, but you're, you have to be peaceable with other people, unwavering, full of mercy. Full of mercy implies you're doing something with someone else. Um, I don't know how much we talk about these these topics um, amongst ourselves. We should. And I'd make one last appeal in 10 seconds and then ask if you got any comments. I've got three boys. They're about to hear me. So I would appeal to a certain application of this. Um, how do you know you're wise and understanding? How you interact with my sons. I need your help. I think Josh would say the same. I think Alan would say the same. Brian would say the same. If you're wanting an application of how to apply, how do you know you're wise and understanding? It's how do you talk to our boys? That's how you know, and that's how I'll know. All right? Okay, 20 seconds. Anybody got anything they'd like to say uh, real quick? Fully wise? All right. We're going to talk about uh, worldliness and uh, money uh, next time. Thank you for your attention.